Can everybody see me? I know I'm about four foot three, but can everybody see me if I stay down here? I am half Filipino. They did look up, this week we looked up the average height of a Filipino man and it was like five foot four, so I'm a giant because I'm five seven. What's up? <laughs> I know we did this, but again, I want to thank, first and foremost, uh, Tina. I want to thank the volunteers. If you don't realize that this is not just daycare, this is evangelism. This is truly about winning our kids to Jesus Christ. And I know I say this over and over again, and I say this to my kids often, and they're going to get tired of it. I don't care if you have a good job or not. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care about anything. If you are not there when Jesus returns, then all of that's in vain. I only care about one thing, is that they're in the kingdom with me. That's truly what I care about. This was evangelism, and I thank you. And I do want to say one more thanks, because I was the one who, who offered, because Tina said we're going to have dinner for our volunteers every, every day. And I was like, you are super busy. You work during the day. You're going to rush over here. How are you going to get that dinner? I said, we'll take care of it. But the one who did most of the chopping and the, and the preparation is my wife. So can we just uh, say thank you to my wife? Um, you'll hardly ever see her up front unless she's forced to be up here. But behind the scenes, she is a rock star. Um, and I'm very thankful. Yeah, rock star. So you guys know how this goes. Uh, sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Shalom, our Lord. Praise and honor and glory be to you. We thank you. Because you are God, we thank you. Because you have promised you will return soon, we thank you. Because you are not a God that says, but a God that does. Great is your faithfulness. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. To start off, I guess a little bit morbid, drowning to me seems like one of the worst ways to go. Because you know what's going on. And you know what it's like not to have oxygen. If you've ever held your breath. And just to swallow that water. Drowning seems to me one of the worst ways. I remember reading a story about a woman. And I think this just happened last year. And I don't know if you read the story. In America, we don't get too many of these stories. Because it was on the other side of the world. But in Australia, and I believe it was... I don't know if it was South Wales, there was a woman that they found in her Hyundai minivan holding her kid because she could not get him out of the van. Now, she had gotten one. She had three kids. She had gotten one out, and her eight-year-old escaped. 
and she could have escaped too. The article said she could have gotten out, but she would not leave her other two without getting them out, and she could not free them. So she stayed there and was found holding her one. Going down. What a scary experience. Just this pa- these past couple of weeks, there was a team that they didn't know if they were going to make it. They, at first, they were saying, this Thai soccer team, they were saying it was going to take months for them to get out. Do you know how much it took to get them out? I, I actually saved one of the articles um, because it baffled me what it took to get them out. It said that there were, uh, there were 10,000 people that participated in this, in this rescue. 10,000 worldwide. There were 2,000 soldiers, 200 divers. For 13 people, 200 divers were involved in the rescue of these 13 people. And 100 government agencies were involved in this. Now, for the first 10, it seemed that this was going really smooth. And you know that what they did, they actually had to give anxiety medicine to these kids because they would strap them in to this stretcher thing and they'd have a mask there over them And they were strapped in. Can you imagine being strapped in, going through water, and you cannot see anything because it's pitch black in a lot of these areas. So they're going through. But on the 11th time, after these 10 smooth ones, and they're getting excited, and you remember how fast this was going, the navigating diver lost grip of the rope because there was a rope that would guide them. That's That's all that would guide them. He lost the grip of the rope. And they waited, and what would take not just some minutes, it was up to 90 minutes that they didn't have contact with this diver. And and the people that, or the person that they were uh, escorting, and finally the diver had backtracked a little bit and found the rope and made it to safety. Can you imagine Even an experienced diver, I'm sure there was a little bit of fear, uh, not just for his own life, but he says, I'm responsible for for his life, the, the, the kid's life. And I don't know if you know this, but every person that was escorted out was escorted by two divers. So he's relying also. But they made it through And I still believe, whether these were praying people or not, that was by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we come to the point, if you haven't caught this so far, where we were in in Scripture, we're at the Sea of Galilee. Our whole VBS experience, VBX experience, even though I spell experience with an E, so I think it should be VBE, but some people do with an X, maybe, if you work for Heinz Craft. So it is, through our VBX experience, we were at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to go to Mark chapter 4. 
where we will take you back to an experience at the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 35. And it will be up here also. And it says this, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. So whose idea was it to get on the water? Jesus' idea. Remember that. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So were, was their boat the only one on the water? No. That also is somewhat important. A furious squall, according to this, some of you say a tempest or a storm, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the, the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him? For years, I've always pictured this little rowboat is probably what they use that would, that would hold about two or three or four people. Now, we don't know because the text doesn't give us information. All we know is what we can excavate or what we find. And I want to show you a, a couple of pictures. Here is, to my knowledge, the only Sea of Galilee boat that has been found that was thought to be at the, around the same time as Jesus's. Some people call this the Jesus boat. Now, it's doubtful that this was the boat on the sea, but they call it the Jesus boat. Now, I, this is actually in a museum, but I want you to go to the next slide. And I know many of you cannot read this, but I can read some of this to you. So the size, if you look up there, the size of this was about almost 27 feet long. And the width was almost eight feet wide, and the depth was almost five feet deep. So it's a big boat. Actually, the capacity is believed to be 15. So risk management would not insure this boat. It was a 15-passenger boat. Um, they were believed to be somewhere, this boat specific, the one that you saw earlier, they give or take 80 years. That's, a, that's the way that they say that this was somewhere around 40 AD, give or take back 80 years or forward 80 years. But they're pretty sure that it was a fisher boat or a cargo, a small cargo boat that would carry about 15 people. So they would assume that this is the size of his boat. Now, I don't know. How many of you have ever been on a ship during a little storm? When I first went to the mission field in 1998, I went over to Korea, and there's, it's South Korea. I went to South Korea. I wasn't allowed in North Korea. 
But my island that I was, that I was at was about, it was just a couple miles from North Korea. I was the most northwest island of South Korea. I could actually, on clear days, see North Korea. And the island right next to us was a North Korean island. On my island, there were landmines all over the landscape. You weren't allowed to walk all over the island because of the landmines. Now, to get to, there were, only if you were very, 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 very wealthy could you fly, because there was one beach that where planes could fly, and I think while I was there over that year, only one plane ever came other than a military kind of uh, airship um, came to the island. So we took boat. And now I feel I have a fairly good stomach, but I remember on one of the times that I went inland and then came back out to the island that there was a storm going on. And it, I'm assuming it wasn't like this. But what it felt, and you know if you hit those waves, if you're going into the waves and hitting the waves and then going up and then hitting the waves, and I just got into a corner and I swore that I was going to lose my cookies. And um, eventually we made it. And when people saw me, the, my mission partner, he's like, you are so pale right now. Uh, because you know, if you've been on a boat, you can do nothing out there. Whatever happens on the boat, I mean, you can't just, okay, I'm getting off the boat. You're stuck on that boat during that storm. Now, this storm here, if you go to the next slide, this storm here, I'm assuming was different. Now, the word that it uses for tempest or storm, there's a couple of words it uses. Now, Luke follows, follows Mark, and, and uh, lipops is the word. That's such a funny word. Lipops. Can you say it? Okay, lipops is translated as like a whirlwind, a, a small hurricane. But it's a, it's a whirlwind. So he translated, Mark translates, and this is probably from Peter, that says, yeah, it was like a whirlwind. Now, I'm assuming that is bad. But I like how Matthew translates it. He says it's seismos. Can you say seismos? Do you know where we, we get words from that? This was a seismic. Yes, earthquake. This is the word translated earthquake in Matthew 24. When he says there will be earthquakes, he uses the word seismos. This is a storm that they're afraid will destroy their boat if it Last long enough. It was getting, if you remember the text, it says it was getting so bad that their hull was filled with water. Now, you know, if, if you've ever overturned a boat, which I have done before, that it doesn't have to be totally full, but if it, ever, if it gets there and the water comes in, I'm sure they are scared to death. Now, here's the thing. Some of them are fishermen. They've seen storms before. Now, some of them are not fishermen, I'm assuming, if the other disciples are with them. This isn't even their expertise. They're on a ship that they don't know really what they're doing, and they are afraid. But it seems that the disciples, even the fisher disciples, 
are freaking out. This is a storm that they hadn't seen before. There's an illusion here. Do you remember, and the, and the New Testament does this a lot. It will allude to a story of the Old Testament. Do you remember there was a storm with somebody also who was asleep in the ship? And what story is that? Jonah. Do you remember? And they come to him like, why are you sleeping? Don't you know? The gods must be angry with us. And Jonah says, well, to end this storm, this is what you'll do. And what does he say? Yeah, throw me overboard. And did they say, yes, let's do it? Not at first. They said, let's work harder. We're fishermen. Or we're, we're, well, cargo. We are people that that are sailors all the time. We are on a ship all the time. We can work through this. But they couldn't. And finally they said, okay, we'll toss you overboard. I wonder if it did pop in the mind of these disciples. Do we need to toss Jesus overboard? You know, the thing is, though, is sometimes when things do get rough, that is exactly what we do. We think, this is God's fault. I no longer will follow Jesus. I don't want him in the boat. But but God never promised that if Jesus is in your boat, it's going to be calm. Did he ever promise that? You know, actually, it's probably the opposite. And I know that doesn't seem like a ringing endorsement. But if you are going to follow Jesus, expect a storm. Because there is an enemy that wants to snuff out your life. And he will do whatever is possible to destroy you. Jesus never said, if I'm in the boat, it's going to be smooth sailings. And guess what? The people that were following him, even from other boats, I'm assuming they were part of that storm too. And they're like, what are we going to do? You know, thinking about those fishermen, that this is their trade. This is what they do. And they had no control. Everything was out of their control in this story. Because I'm assuming, now, Jesus, I still don't understand how he's conked out. I mean, it's raining, and it's going like this, and the waves are coming in so that it is filling the boat, and he's in the back of the boat on this cushion just snoring away. And I'm assuming the disciples are saying, let's not wake him up yet. It's going to get better. Let's just weather the storm. Let's not wake him up. Let's not wake him up. Let's wake him up. And he says, let's wake him up. But they were totally, everything was out of their control. I know that for most of us, I will say most of us, we do not like life to be out of our control. But guess what? Life is usually out of our control. Kids, if you get married later, long, 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 you will realize 
Life is not in your control. You get married, and the Bible says you become one, but you are two different brains. And there will be storms, right, married people? There will be storms. If you get a job and have to work with other people, you realize that just other people... You know what they say about ministry, and they say this about teaching and all these kinds of ministries. They say, you know, teaching would be easy if there were no parents. You know, I agree. You know, ministry would be easy without people. I totally believe that. Ministry would be easy without people. That's what they say at, you know, at the seminary. They say, don't tell your parishioners, but ministry would be easy without people. Because with people, there are storms. Actually, if you read the text... Right after this, in all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the immediate right after the storm is the healing of the demoniac. It's a person. They no longer, this is totally out of our control, and when they get on land, there's another situation that is totally out of their control that broke chains that was terrorizing everybody. And he's, Jesus is saying, yeah, maybe you won't be out on the sea where everything's out of control. But at work, there might be a time where you are out of control. Or in your marriage or with your child, you might be pulling your hair out because you can't control your child. It's hard to work with people. It's out of control. And in Mark, the reason I chose Mark is because of this next part. Because the disciples say something to him. You know, the, I'm sure they, did, they let him sleep, let him sleep, let him sleep, let him sleep, and are probably just baffled also, how can he sleep through this? And they say, don't you care if we die? The other ones say, Matthew says, Lord, save us, we're about to drown. But this one says, don't you care? If we die, don't you care? And I wonder if that, man, that really tugged at Jesus. Don't you care? And I do wonder if sometimes we think that. Because we are in the middle of a storm, because we have had a rocky marriage or, or work life or whatever, or, or we're having bad health. You know, I've eaten healthy my whole, you know, but still cancer is, whatever it is, and we think, don't you care, God? I'm in the midst of this storm. I am dying here. My marriage is falling apart here. Don't you care? My kids are leaving Jesus. They're leaving the church. Don't you care? My parents are dying. Whoever it is, don't you care if we die if they die, if their relationships are breaking, don't you care? Now Jesus gets up, and I know he does not say this, but this is what I hear when I read the text. He says, why did you wake me up? You know what it's like to get woken up when you don't want to. In the middle of the night and you are grumpy. 
I have never been grumpy, but I know people that are like this, that they are a bear, and you wake them up and you say, why did you wake me up for that? But this is serious. They're going to die. And I know on the flip side, though, if people were going to die, you would say, why didn't you wake me up earlier? If the house is on fire, right? And you're like, well, I'll try to put it out. And, you know, and then finally, this is out of my control. Most people would say, why didn't you wake me up? We could have gotten this earlier. Why didn't you wake me up? But what I read Jesus saying is, why did you get me up for this? So it's an earthquake storm. All right. Why did you get me up? And if you read the two texts, and I'm comparing Matthew and Mark because they're, they're seemingly different. In Mark, he rebukes the wind first. He says, peace be still. And then he says to his disciples, are you ever going to grow in some faith? But in the other one, he says it to them first. And I'm sure the Mark one seems like that's more of a relief. Like, hey, take care of the storm and then you can, you know, rebuke me. You know? But in, in the Matthew story, it says, while the storm's going, you know, and, and, you know, rain's probably all over his face. He's like, hey, guys, why'd you wake me up? Couldn't you just have some faith? And then he says, peace be still. And if you look at those words, what it really means is, it's sort of like language to a, to a dog. He says, silence and be muzzled. That's what the, the language is. It's very visual. He says, silence and I'm holding your mouth. Meaning, I don't want to hear your bark and I don't want to feel your bite. That is the power of Jesus. He says, you are not going to scare me with a bark? Because some people get scared with just the bark, right? But it's the bite that we really don't want. And he says, you storm, you can't even, you can't bark or bite, bite us. Peace, be still. Do you know that uh, this, I, I, I want to read one more text with you, and I I want you to see in, in Psalm 107, because some people believe that most of the Psalms are Messianic prophecies. I don't know if you realize that. Even the, the 23rd Psalm is believed to be a Messianic prophecy. So in Psalm 107, there are scholars that believe this is directly related to the story of the Messiah. In verse 23, it says this, Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempest and lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, they, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. They were out of control. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. 
Then they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Doesn't it sound very similar? It's believed that they should have known better, that this was already prophesied would happen. Now, as you know, at the story's conclusion, on all of the accounts, it says they were amazed. Some say terrified. It uses the word fear, probably in awe. They were amazed because it says, even the winds obey him. It's not just people. Even the things that we believe are bigger than anybody, the storms of nature, obey this guy. Now, they had stories of this of old that he could control the sun. Well, at least God, they believe, could control the sun, that he could control the storms, that all of this stuff was in God's control. But I don't know if they actually thought Jesus had the same power. And finally, they're like, even nature bows to him? Amazing. So my question to you, as our singers are coming up, my question to you is, what is your storm? Is it finances? Is it your home life? Is it your kids? Is, it, is there something in your life that you wish you could control but know when it comes down to it, you have no control over it. And maybe the temptation is that, well, I got to just try to get control. And Jesus is saying, no, give it to me and I will make it be peaceful and be still. That is the power of Jesus.